1: Hi, it's Finn Doar from the Irish History Podcast, and this is a staycast from Acast. Please, please, please follow the government's advice right now, which is currently to stay at home where possible. While you're staying at home, I would recommend another great show that's worth checking out. It's Unexplained by Richard MacLean Smith. It's a beautifully produced and gripping show that looks at unusual and sometimes unnerving occurrences from the past and present. It's perfect escapism. Check out Unexplained on the ACAST app, or wherever you get podcasts. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Everything is Black and White podcast in association with eToro. I'm your host, Sean McCormick, for today. And joining me is Newcastle United Chief Sports writer, uh, Lee Ryder. And alongside him, Newcastle United writer, Chris Woff. Lots to get through today, guys. Obviously, you're just fresh back from the... Disappointing trip to London, two um, 0 defeat to West Ham at the weekend. But we're going to start with a bit of takeover news, and it's getting me to merge today Lee, that it might actually is officially ended all talk with with Peter Kenyon, ended all negotiations with him.
2: Yeah, that look the the two have, have gone on for a few months now. The the pair have uh, had discussions. Ashley told them that he was his prefer, preferred preferred um, partner to, to sell to at one point, um, but it's all. Seemingly fell through now, and Ashley has grown tired, like he did with Stavely and P C P Capital Partners. He's grown tired and frustrated that things haven't moved at the the rate that he wanted, uh, and it looks like that particular option is now uh, finished. And you know, it's back to the drone board. Is the club still for sale? Yes, we believe it is. Um, but someone's got to come up with that, you know, three hundred plus million, and you know, really make him an offer he can't refuse.
1: I mean, Chris, we we saw Peter Kenyon's leaked letter um, at the start of the year. We believed his his bid was was genuinely serious. He really wanted to take over Newcastle United, but obviously fans will come back to us now and say, "You know, we've been here before. We've seen this all before." I mean, how in, how genuine was Kenyon's interest in Newcastle United?
0: I mean, Kenyon is still interested in buying Newcastle United as far as aware. We, we haven't heard otherwise that he isn't. But essentially, for the Mike Ashley end. He's ended it. The problem that Peter Kenyon always had was, and was told very from someone uh, inside the club early on, that you basically have a man who wants to buy a football club, but who doesn't have the money to buy a football club, and that has always been the issue with Peter Kenyon. Is that he's he's been. Uh, he's been chief executive at Man United he's been chief executive at Chelsea but there's a difference a key difference between being a chief executive somewhere yeah. and leading a takeover and buying a football club he, he doesn't have the personal funds to do that he essentially wanted to be the front for that and get a consortium together investors he tried in the US he tried various different places and he just simply hasn't been able to get the funds together actually he's given him increased time and basically I don't really see the situation of Newcastle being for sale having changed too much it's always been the case basically even before it was officially for sale that if someone comes to Mike Ashley, gives him an offer he can't refuse I think he will sell but we aren't close to that stage at the moment as far as we we're aware and so for that reason unfortunately it looks like Mike is going to be the owner for the medium term
1: and Lee I mean in terms of you know, we're talking about Mike Ashley's frustrations there You know, yet he still hasn't sold the club we believe he still wants to sell the club I mean they didn't I mean the Kenyan led consortium didn't come up with the goods essentially but just for clarity now, I mean what would what, what would an acceptable bid be for Mike Ashley?
2: Well it, I think it's gonna be around, you know, the three hundred million mark. Yeah. Um and but it's more than that. He wants to see proof that whoever comes in, you know, has got plenty of money and that they're gonna be able to take the club on. Um because he said that right from the start, didn't he? That I I don't want the club to to go backwards after you know he's been there, which you know some people would argue that the club has already gone backwards in the last uh, eleven years. But that's you know that's basically given a flavour of what what he thinks. Um, Kenyon really, I think he liked the idea of being the Newcastle managing director and you know potentially picking up a salary for that. But you know as as Chris has mentioned there, you know you can't you can't turn up to buy a football club if you. Just haven't got the money, and it's just it's a bit crazy in some ways. I mean, it, I think the fans have been, you know, pretty guarded on this all the way through, as we have as well. Um, but I think the alarm bells really for Kenyon probably should have started ringing when I think the suggestion from St James's Park was that maybe Kenyon and Gary Cook should possibly club the money they've got together. It just all sounded a little bit. Not not amateur, amateurish, but you know, two guys who are come from two completely different consortium. You know, having to to you know go around and you know not beg people, but you know asking different people with different money. Would you be interested? And it just all felt a little bit unorganised. And here we are now, uh, Mike Ashley. You know, uh, effectively pulling the plug on it. I mean, I'm sure if Peter Kenyon turned up tomorrow and said, "Actually, I have got 300 million there it is and we've got another £150 million to plough in the next few transfer windows, then it might be different. But at the moment, um, it, it it's as far away as it'll ever be.
0: I think the only thing really that's changed is that now Mike Ashley is, is basically saying to anyone, I'm not even going to speak to you until you can show me straight away you've got the money. There's always been the case, it was like with Kenyon, did the due diligence, Spent both sides spent hundreds of thousands of pounds making sure they could do that. Whereas Mike Ashley, I think now, is saying, no, before we even get to that stage, if you want to buy this football club prove to me first and foremost you have the money A to buy it and then B to take it forward otherwise we're not even going to get around the negotiating table in the first place I think both Stavely and Kenyan situations have now uh, chastened up to such a degree that he's, he's going to wait until that happens
1: I mean it it, it remains uh, an ever changing scenario because obviously there was reports yesterday that you know, might ask you was taking the club the market completely I mean you know while the while there remains on the market, there's always going to be this sort of uncertainty. I suppose that fans are always going to be guarded, as you said, the against against the club being on sale. But you know, Ashley does want to sell, and it, you know, is there any other bidders that we know that we are aware of that could be coming into the market?
2: Well, I think at the beginning there was you know allegedly three or four people, uh, three or four groups interested. You know, two of them we've just spoke about there, Kenyon and, and Cook, um, that that hasn't happened so maybe there is you know a couple more in the background who haven't you know proceeded with what what they started um whether this might just rejig their interest a little bit we don't know it's such a complicated situation we don't know nobody knows unless they speak to my Ashley how difficult um it is to to give him what he wants and you know the asking price is 300 million but there could be other little hidden things in there and, and until you get in the books and get in the data room and you can actually could see it for yourself and it's, it's hard to, to fathom exactly where and why Mike Ashley seems to be making it so difficult for people to to come in and buy the club and you know I suppose maybe he was thinking um, and probably wrongly that bringing in Miguel Almirón on on deadline day would pacify the crowd a little bit, and I suppose you know it was applauded that they actually got a, a big signing over the line, but it was never going to completely get rid of all the unrest. There is people still deeply unhappy. There is still people not renewing season tickets or considering not renewing season tickets. I mean, if Rafa Benitez walks at the end of the season, then it's a real mess at St James's Park.
1: And as 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 Lee touched upon there, Chris, you know Rafa's future is still very much up in the air. Um, you know if Ashley is staying now beyond the end of this season, because to be fair, takeover Talker completely died a death really after after the January transfer window. We we weren't really talking about it during February. All of a sudden, it started to rear its ugly head again. I suppose is the best way of putting it. But uh, I mean, beyond this season, then if Ashley stays, you know, the, the inevitable questions will be if Rafa does remain. Will he get the sufficient backing in the summer?
0: Well, unfortunately, I, I don't necessarily have the specific answer for that, but that these are all the questions which someone at the club needs to answer. It would be very nice we, as we keep pushing forward, as we keep asking if someone, be that managing director Lee Charnley, be it Mike Ashley himself, preferably, or Justin Barnes, whoever, someone who is high up at the football club, where his dealings came out and answered some of these questions. If Mike Ashley is going to be here for the medium term, or at least I think he's going to be here for the medium term, that needs to be clarified and whether, I, I mean there's part of me which suspects some of these stories almost come out because maybe it's the club trying to show Rafa Benitez look you're going to have to negotiate with us, don't think that someone else is going to come replace us because basically no one is going to come and buy the club. We are the people who if you're going to stay here long term you need to negotiate your future contract with. The issue Benitez has is he wants the club to offer him more reassurances than he's had so far. I'm not going to go through them all. We've said them a million times before about what he wants to do with the academy and training ground and whatnot. But at the moment, he he hasn't received those reassurances. He hasn't yet sat down and really discussed his contract going forward with the club because he doesn't feel in a position to do so yet. So at the moment, unfortunately, it is uncertainty. And every time we seem to have got beyond this and, and we can have a bit of positivity, suddenly this crops up again. Ashley himself brought up at the start of December when he did that interview on Sky News, then over the weekend, this latest report has has brought it up at what the end at the end of what really was a positive week. Yes, Newcastle lost to West Ham, but it'd been a positive week. And then suddenly now, everyone again is talking about uncertainty: who's going to own the football club? Is the manager going to be here? And it's a bit frustrating, really, that it's this groundhog day sort of situation.
1: And is that the finale for the rest of the season now? Because I mean, Newcastle aren't quite at the relegation dogfight yet. Rafa Benitez was at pains to to say that on Saturday but there still remains seven points clear of the relegation zone. It looks pretty positive now that they're going to be a Premier League club next season. Is the fear now that between now and the end of the season, we're just going to be continually dragging through this cycle of takeover stories rather than, future, when actually there's quite a bit of positive things going on the pitch as well?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it, they are. Look, I, I don't think they're going to go down now. Um, I think you you guys are pretty pretty much the same school of thought of me, and me. If they can get another win, then they're pretty much there um it's it's then what happens after that and i suppose it's it's also how they finish the season are they going to finish strongly like they did last year and you know finish in 10th place or is it going to be a bit of a struggle in terms of results um and then i mean look say newcastle win against everton and then they pick up a a point or something somewhere else and then maybe they say they lost the last five games what would the what would the mood be like then uh, around the place it's hard nine games seems quite a short space of time but so much can happen in those nine games and we'll have to wait and see I mean from Rafa's point of view he wants things sorted but only after they've got to have the place in the Premier League confirmed uh, Lee Charnley and Mike Ashley they don't seem to be want to pushed into a be pushed into a corner in terms of answering questions we, we've we all got questions in this room would love to ask uh, and get some on the record answers for, but they just don't seem to want to be pushed around. And at the minute, they're the ones in charge, and it is a it's a difficult scenario.
1: And Chris, I mean, there's an international break on the horizon now. There's two more games before that international break comes. But you know, if if if, if fans were looking for a point where there could be some sort of you know resolution or certainly progress on Rafa Benitez's future. Could it come to in that national period where you know there isn't a, that particular that first week where Newcastle don't have a game to prepare for that, that, that on that weekend?
0: Well, I'd like to think that that is certainly the viewpoint of the club and that they will be pushing Benitez to say, "Look, we're going to have a bit of a period here. Can we sit down and talk?" But as Lee says, Benitez himself would is quite keen for Newcastle's Premier League future to be resolved first. It would basically almost be mathematically impossible or very unlikely that they're going to go down. I don't expect them to go down. I think that they're they're nearly there already, but they're not quite in the position now where you can see already that they are certainly going to be in the, in the top flight. And so the issue they may have is that I think Benitez feels he will have a stronger hand if and when the club's safe. Then there'll be no distractions. Then he can really sit down and say, look, this is what I need. And I think he will also then probably be a bit more open in public in terms of these sorts of things. I think the moment he wants the focus to be on the pitch, whereas when it gets to a position where Newcastle United are safe he can then, as he quite often does uh, in these sorts of situations, use press conferences, use media briefings, use various different situations to give out a little bit more of his vision for the future, what he believes need to be done, rather than just saying a bit more generic, as he has been at the moment, that we can talk in the future. So do I see it being resolved by then? I, I think it's highly unlikely unless Newcastle were to win the next two games and maybe be just about there mathematically. I think that, we'll, unfortunately, this is one that's probably going to drag on into April and maybe even beyond.
1: I mean, Lee, there are many things that Rafa Benitez wants in writing. Obviously, we know he wants to improve the training ground, the academy. He wants you know, more control of his transfer budget. But, I mean, two things that could really persuade him to say, one would be signing Solomon Rondon on a permanent basis. Um, two would be handing Modi Army a new deal. Um, in terms of Rondon, I mean, you did the story this morning, I believe, where you, you, Rondon spoke about his future. I mean, how likely, from your perspective, after speaking to Solomon Rondon at the weekend, do you think he will be a Newcastle player permanently in the summer?
2: Well, I think it's it's going to be down to the board. And when we talk about the board, we talk about Lee Charnley and Mike Ashley and maybe Keith Bishop and Justin Barnes. Um, it's not an official board. It's just a, a panel almost. Will Newcastle... Does Rondon want to stay? Absolutely. He's come out on the record. He's said it. He's told them what he wants. Um, will Newcastle pay the the big money for him? Because West Bromwell still demand a fee. Could be between 10 and 15 million. We don't know yet. It was 60 million last summer, wasn't it? So uh, it, it could be even bigger if West Brom get promoted as well. I, I'm not sure the exact um, complexities of, of, of the price and the clause and the fee and all that sort of thing. But the reality is, is that will Newcastle play, pay the big money for a player of that age in the past? They haven't done that. Um Going forward, if Rondon's got 15 goals or something like that this season and he makes it impossible for them not to do it, then that, that could be a different scenario again. But at the at the minute, if it was down to Lee Charlie Mike Ashley with the amount of goals he's got now, while he has done well, um, I, I don't think they would pay the big money for him.
1: And Chris, from your point of view in terms of Rondon's future and, and, and the Army's future as well, obviously... Diarmé is still kind of in limbo, I suppose. You know, there is that that clause if Newcastle trigger it, where you will automatically get a new deal. But do you think the club should just you know bite the bullet and say, right, yeah, yeah, Mo Army, here's 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 what we're offering you, here's what you want, we're going to give you it, we're going to pay the money for Rondon. Yes, it goes against what we believe in, but it just shows that we've got that belief in our manager, and we want to, you know, we we want him to commit his future to the club. We're going to commit to these two deals and show that. You know, we can compromise as well.
0: Well, The Diame situation is quite a complex one because he will automatically trigger a one-year extension if he plays, we think it's three more uh, matches and then he gets another year's contract. But he actually wants a two-year contract. A source of the club suggests they'd be happy to just give him the one-year extension regardless whether he meets that or not. But they're not quite as receptive for the two years given his age, he's, yeah. he's 31 now. So that's a complex situation. But very much Benitez would like him to stay if the club were able to... Diarmé down to a deal also get Rondon tied down to a deal they explored to a certain degree I think in January I don't think they ever got very far with West Brom about keeping them potentially longer term they're two players where alongside the Almiron deal if the club got them to stay they could say look Rafa we have who was your number one signing in January we have the player who you wanted number one last summer. We got them in, albeit not the deal you wanted. We've now kept them longer. Diarmé, who's been a mainstay of your team, someone who you can rely upon, he's going to be there. There's three players, all your picks for next season. Now can we start having a proper conversation? All of that will add to the to the conversation, Rafa. All of that will be more likely to entice them to get them around the table. Will it be enough alone to convince him to stay? No, I don't think it will, but every... Olive branch like that, that the club can offer, I think, will increase the chances. And for me, it would be a no-brainer to do both of those things. But whether or not they do that is isn't the matter entirely. The, the suggestion in this Sunday Times article over the weekend was that uh, that Ashley was going to clamp down even more on on the policy that he has to sign players mm. under the age of twenty five. And if he does then that would almost likely scupper both of those deals from, from continuing in yeah. their features being longer too.
2: Yeah, and, and one other thing is with, with the, the army thing, we're all counting the games down now. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see if he starts against Everton at the weekend because yeah. if he doesn't and say Key and Shelby play or, or Key and Hayden with Longstaff presumably going to be out, uh, that would suggest to me that, you know, Rafa will use him in the, the last nine games, but it's got to be starts, hasn't it? So that would suggest to me that, you know, they're paving the way for, they don't want to give him the one-year contract. They basically want to, you know, look at other options and then that would, would if they don't want him, that would suit them and it would suit the army because then he can go and talk to other clubs as a free agent. So it's such a, it's a typical Newcastle. Well, only Newcastle can draw these contracts up, I think, but... Um, yeah, I mean, do I personally think he's worth the two-year deal if it keeps Rafa happy and he's and is fit? Yeah, he's he's an important squad player. But you know, would it be the end of the world if he goes? Probably not. I think there's there's other players out there that could come in. Um, but you know, he's been he's been a, a decent you know buy for Newcastle, hasn't he? And he's a really good good guy to talk to he never lets you down in the interview zones so uh, from that point of view you know would be a good thing but at the end of the day Newcastle need to start building forward to go forwards now in the Premier League that's what Rafa wants he wants to turn them into a top eight team whether the army is part of that or not we'll have to wait and see how are you doing there it is David from the David McWilliams podcast and this is a stay cast from ACAST We're all following the government's advice right now. We're staying in. It's a little bit cocooning, but it's all working. So while you're staying at home, here's a recommendation of another great podcast. It's the Blind Boy podcast. He's an old mate. He's a great skin. He has extraordinarily interesting views of the world. Check it out.
1: As Lee touched on there, Sean Longstaff, we, we, we don't know the extent of his injury yet. We imagine we'll find that out fairly soon. Possibly even by the time you listen to this podcast uh, when it's released later on. But how big of a blow of this laugh for Newcastle? Because he has made such a brilliant impact in 2019 from the start alongside Isaac Hayden.
0: It's a huge blow. I mean, I've, I, was, I tweeted out earlier today because I was doing a piece looking at alternatives if Longstaff is out this weekend. And Shelby hasn't started a Premier League games in four months now. Can you imagine if at the start of November... When that was Newcastle United's last, first win of the season as well, Watford, he went off after 53 minutes could you imagine at that point that Newcastle would have, would have reached early March got 31 points and Shelby would barely have featured during that time, I think he's only played about 100 minutes combined over the substitute periods he's made since which just shows you the impact of the players who've played in between, initially it was who joined the Army in midfield but then since the turn of the year Hayden and Longstaff between them have formed a brilliant partnership, yes it didn't quite work on Saturday I think fatigue probably played a part for both of them I don't think either it was terrible by any stretch but it just there weren't quite nobody in the Newcastle team was quite at the levels they've been at in recent weeks and Longstaff has emerged It's what he really has done as well I think he's re-energised fans to a certain degree they've seen that there is a pathway there that hadn't been there since Paul Dummett that someone who as they call one of their own is getting through and it is excellent that he has come through, and maybe, as long as the injury isn't serious, and I very much hope it isn't, maybe it's, it's good for him that he comes out of the, the line-out for a couple of weeks and, and he can he can refocus and just comprehend exactly what he's achieved over the last couple of months to be nominated for Premier League Player of the Month, and his second month playing in the Premier League is, is incredible. Uh, but he thoroughly deserves it, and I really hope it isn't long-term and he comes back soon because I've been really, really impressed with how he's dealt with everything so far.
1: I mean, let's hope Longstaff wins that of walks as you say, Chris, that would be an unbelievable achievement for someone who hasn't been playing in the first team too long. Um, but you mentioned John Joe Shelby there, and, and Lee, obviously, he played for the under-23s the other night, scored a goal, that was at his own request, which I think shows a good attitude regardless. Um, but do you think he would he would get the nod if Longstaff, if Longstaff comes out of the team? Because Key's been batting the bench in the last few weeks, and before he went away at the Asian Cup, he was a mainstay in that midfield, wasn't he?
2: I think... I think it'll be Keane Hayden if, if Longstaff doesn't make it, which is, seem, seems to be likely that he won't make it. I think it'll be Keane Hayden. I think, as you say, he has been on the bench. We thought he was going to come on a half-time on Saturday. It was strange, that, wasn't it? <laughs> he, was, he came on and done a full rigorous warm-up and then didn't come on. It was it was um, a strange one. But for me, Shelby... I mean, it's very interesting, that that start that you mentioned there, because up until that Watford game, Newcastle hadn't actually won a game. So... That would suggest Shelby's had no impact whatsoever this season, and ensures Newcastle can live without him. For, for all he's kind of like looked at as the club's most, you know, talented player in many ways, and certainly the most highest-paid player. Newcastle can live without him, and you know I think that's that's important. And he, I think Shelby's got everything to prove between now and the end of the season. Um, some might argue that he's a little bit overrated. Um, Some always say that, you know, he would admit if he was a good player, Liverpool would never have let him go. Uh, He ended up going to Swansea, left there on, you know, bad terms, came here. He's had some great games for us, but generally he's been inconsistent, something that's plagued him throughout his career. And, you know, it's a a big last two months of the season for him because, you know, I've seen a couple of suggestions in the weekend papers that, you know, could be going could be leaving at the end of the season and Newcastle could cash in. If they got money for him and they got him off the wage bill, then that would open up a few interesting opportunities for potentially Rafa, if he stays, potentially someone else, if they come in. So it's going to be interesting because it's, it's getting more and more intriguing as we go on. There's lots of different subjects we're, we're going through and um, Newcastle have got uh, you know a, st- a strange run of fixes ahead because they've got obviously having another weekend. I think they obviously need to win that and then Bournemouth, and then obviously the Crystal Palace game could get um, postponed, because if they get through in the cup, get through the semi-finals, that would take that away, and then Newcastle would then have a run-of-away game. So maybe maybe Newcastle aren't quite safe yet, but it's going to be an interesting finish of the season.
1: He's a bit of an enigma, John Joe Shelby, isn't he? Because if you think back to this time last year, we were all pushing him for an England place, and he probably deserved it on the on the the merits of his form at that time uh, Chris but really going into the weekend he was arguably Newcastle's fifth choice centre midfielder as Lee says he's probably the most talented player at the club but he, as again as Lee pointed out there he becomes an expendable asset if he then he is the fifth choice centre midfielder if Modiarmi Army stays you can get a lot of money for him you, re- you reduce him off the wage bill but I mean fans would argue be disappointed as well though, I think because you let him go of a talented player I mean how do you strike that balance in terms of Yes, he is very, very talented. He's an England international. He has the potential to to get capped again um, if he has a good run of form. But he's also on massive wages and he's not playing for the team.
0: It's always been a curious one with Shelby ever since Benitez arrived because I don't know if Lee heard these same noises, but but during that summer when Newcastle relegated, I'd heard noises that that Shelby, Benitez wasn't convinced he'd he'd consider maybe listening to offers from. And I've heard it a couple of times since, but I've never been 100% convinced that he's definitely a Rafa Benitez-style player. He's been brilliant at certain periods, second half of last season, large spells in the Championship, he was very, very good as well. QPR games springs to mind when he was excellent. But he's never quite reached his full potential. He never dominates games as regularly as you as you want him to. And I always get the impression from Benitez that Benitez always expects more from him. He's never been convinced that he's reached that that full level. Now, the fact that Newcastle have been able to survive without him over the last few months... Does put his future into question, and that's probably why he's so keen to come back in the team. But I also think that keenness has also adversely affected him because he probably came back too soon from these injuries, these times which have been uh, repetitive. And, and when Newcastle needed him over a certain period, he wasn't there because Benitez basically hinted at it earlier a couple of weeks ago when I asked him, and he said, "Look, John Joe came back probably too soon. He'd felt something, and he probably shouldn't have been back." And, so, and since then. He hasn't had match fitness, and that's why he's fifth in line. And If you're looking for a like-for-like like replacement for, for Sean sure Longstaff, I'd say Key's probably more of that than, than Shelby is. Shelby, you don't know quite where you're going to get. Key is reliable, dependable, good on the ball. That's what you get with Longstaff. And so I, I think he probably is f- fourth in line to play this weekend. He probably will be on the bench if Longstaff isn't around. But I, I think he's going to struggle again, the team, in the next few weeks because I think, I think Key... And the army are ahead of him, and, and Longstaff once he gets fit again will be as well. You hey,
1: we haven't really spoken about the weekend, so we'll touch on that now. I mean, you, you've both had two days to reflect on the defeat. I mean, two days afterwards. I mean, how do you assess the performance league on Saturday?
2: I, I think Newcastle underestimated West Ham. They couldn't deal with the intensity, and West Ham are they are a really good team. But I think Newcastle there was a bit of complacency. I think they went in the back of it on two consecutive wins and thought, you know, we just need to turn up and you know do something similar to what we did in the last two games, and they needed a lot, a lot more. They were lacking a lot. Um, they they couldn't seem to uh, win control of the the battle. And you know, the chat after the break, uh, you know, after a bad start in the game, after a bad decision for the penalty, bad decision in terms of Lejeune diving in. That is. Uh, they came out in the second half and they did create a couple of openings but it was so far off the pace I mean the Perez shot summed it up didn't it mm-hmm. yeah, great move to get him in the box and then he's nowhere near on target um, Rondon a little bit unlucky uh, with, with his couple of chances I had, one saved and turned on the post and one blocked uh, but really I think West Ham would just playing out time and they probably could have had a couple of chances it's so far away from the action at the London Stadium, aren't you? That it's uh, it's uh, it's an interesting venue to watch football from, but um, not necessarily a good view. But yeah, it just seemed like the atmosphere was. We all seen the uh, the tweet of the West Ham fans celebrating the goal, uh, a ripple of uh, polite applause, but it just seemed like the game was was gone and. Newcastle didn't, weren't able to, they couldn't influence the, the game itself or the mood in the crowd or anything like that. So, yeah, disappointing. But they've got to, you know, back back things up from the previous home games against Everton the weekend.
1: I mean, it seems to have flipped now because at the start of the season, Newcastle couldn't win at home. Saint James's Park was becoming a difficult place to play. All of a sudden, they've, they've flipped that over. They're now. I think it's three consecutive wins at home in the Premier League. Four, I think. Four's it, I've got that wrong then. Um, but away from home, they're struggling again. And I mean, it, it's a bizarre one, isn't it? But is that becoming a problem, do you think, in terms of the way it travels? I think in terms of London as well, Newcastle have
0: really struggled. It, it is an interesting one. I actually asked Benitez about this after the game on Saturday, and he was quite adamant that, that they'll turn that around. But what he did say, and he said repeatedly... To basically every answer to every question in any press conference on Saturday was that that wasn't a Newcastle team. That wasn't how he expected Newcastle to be. away usually they're solid, usually they don't concede sloppy goals. And you could just tell from the first minute, even before the seventh minute goal, you could just see that this this wasn't going to be Newcastle's evening. They weren't at it and it's one of those games where you're sitting there after Newcastle conceded in the 7th minute you're thinking there's another 83 minutes of this and you could play for another 3 hours and Newcastle are going to lose you just know they're going to lose at this stage and that was what was so frustrating and there is it is strange that they've changed in that way and I don't know if it's this this formation that they've changed to that maybe it's now better suited to St James's Park rather than the way I think Lejeune and Cher... Struggle a little bit away from home in this formation. They're not the quickest, and they get dragged out of position a little bit. Whereas at home, the onus is on them to attack. I'm not quite sure the balance really is there away from home. But given the fact that the home form's so positive, you, you can't. It's it, it's hard to be so hard on them away from home because of that. You, it was it was depressing during the first half of the season because they're just, they just they were really really bad at St James's Park. That's flipped. And as long as they're winning games at one or the other, I suppose you you, you can forgive it to a certain degree and over time try trying. Progress that, but it is a weird quirk that they they can't seem to get both right at the same time. Because first half the season they're brilliant away and very poor at home, and it's completely flipped now.
1: I mean, Rafa Benitez seems to settle on a on a settled start in eleven now, Lee. Um, I mean, the West Ham game comes on the back of a, what we all build as an absolutely vital two games. They got the two wins in in, in those games, so you can't argue with that. But was it complacency? Was it a fact that they weren't playing a team necessarily around them like Burnley and Huddersfield? There wasn't the same pressure and scrutiny on those games. Uh, sorry, on the West Ham game compared to Lowe's games. So maybe you know the intensity wasn't quite there.
2: Yeah, I think definitely a bit of compl- complacency. I think as well maybe the two home games so close to each other might have taken something out of the the legs of the players. Uh, that can happen. It's, it's, it's happened before down the years. Uh, especially when Rafa Benitez has been here and he, ha- you know, he, he hasn't really got that many options with, with the squad. So, yeah, I think it's just one now they have to really just choke off now. I mean, they, for all, they didn't play very well. They still created chances, which mm. I would be more worried if they'd have been completely flat, which uh, is, you know, sharp finishing on the night, let them down. Um, Perez has that inconsistency about, you know, one game he looks like, he's going to get goals uh, left, right and centre the next he goes into it and it looks a really poor poor player and that chance was a poor miss um, if he couldn't get it on target the very least he should have done was you know, maybe try to square it across the six yard box but it just looked a bit disjointed and Rondon um, could have scored towards the end but would Newcastle have got anything out of it at, apart from a consolation We'll never know, so they've just got to move on from it. and We'll learn a lot more from this Everton game at the weekend, for sure.
0: These are the sort of games I feel really sorry for London because the amount of work he has to do at front, mm. he had no one anywhere near him. And you just feel after a while. he it's one of those days where it wasn't working for Newcastle and you think, this guy works so hard, he's tireless at front. You can see why Rafa Benitez has always wanted him. what, what he fits in that system. And he, for there was large parts of the game where he was almost by himself and it, that's when Newcastle aren't functioning right that that's where things go wrong and I, I think almiron for the first time Lee touched on this in, in the podcast after the game for the first time recognized what it can be like to be a Newcastle player when things aren't going right away from the and if you're one of those flare attacking players and you just aren't getting the ball that much and Newcastle didn't get it to him enough in dangerous positions and uh, there was just some strange things written about him over the weekend saying oh, it was disappointing the, the guy's only been here a month, he played really well the Saturday before, he played quite well in midweek as well. Nobody in the Newcastle team played well on Saturday. I very much suspect we'll see a different Newcastle team at St James as part of Year 7 on Saturday.
2: Yeah, West Ham had done the homework as well on him, I think, hadn't they, they, made, they made sure that the ball wasn't getting to him. Uh, Noble oh, definitely let him know he was there with that. A bit of a shock and challenge really, but I suppose that's what Noble's job is, to, to go out there, get booked and then keep his composure for the rest of the game. You know, and it slow it slowed everyone down, um and it was just it was a pretty awful game to watch really in the end, wasn't it, after the two goals had gone in. Um but really from Newcastle's point of view as I say they gonna move on. Everton at home next, I mean Everton showed that they could do well against, you know, good sides, uh, holding Liverpool. But I think if if the, if St James Park um the, if the atmosphere is as good as it's been in pre- previous weeks and Newcastle are up for it now, they prove a point, then I, I think they can get all three points this weekend.
1: Is there a worry with Almiron? You, you, you touched on it there, Chris. Is there a worry with Almiron now that he's no longer this kind of surprise package that he was against Wolves, that he was against Huddersfield, to a degree against Burnley, where he's now had three full games in the Premier League of substitution appearance against Wolves, where teams will have done the homework, as Lee says there. Um, is there a chance his his influence will be limited or is that just too lazy of an assumption?
0: I don't think it's too lazy an assumption. I think there is certainly uh some merit in, in that argument. Teams have seen more of him now. Yes, they'll have they'll have done their homework on him in the MLS anyway, but it's different once you get the Premier League and, and they will start putting in plans in place to get past him. But but I think that he's the sort of player who has the talent and and the ability to get around that and, and Benitez certainly will be working uh, on different methods of making sure that that Almirón can be effective, he can play in various different positions. So he may not always see him in that left-hand side position just behind Rondon. He may switch on to the right. He Newcastle may play him further out wide. He may play as a number ten. And I, there will be tough times ahead. He's he's transitioning from the MLS, the Premier League. The step up is huge, and there will be weeks where he isn't as influential as you would hope that he would be. But I think that in time, uh, he will. He, he has the ability. He seems to have the confidence in himself and uh, the willingness to improve, that I think that he will be a good player in the long term, just in the, between now and the end of the season, I think he will be inconsistent, because he hasn't had a full pre-season either, Isaac Hayden touched upon it in an interview after the game, where he said that he, he came midway through Atlanta's pre-season, and suddenly he's playing in the Premier League it's going to take him a bit of time, and I think we'll probably likely see the best of our on next season, whereas we'll only probably see flashes between now and the end of this season
1: And just to finish guys, obviously we're going to have the, the pre-Everton podcast later this week, but from from where you are now and from what you'd seen at the weekend after a very successful period for Newcastle obviously it was the first disappointing result in a while but is there scope for change on Saturday in terms of team selection this is for both of you guys obviously we're expecting Sean Longstaff might be out but apart from that is there a scope for change
2: I think he might make a few changes I think you look at uh, the centre midfield he's got an enforced one there with Longstaff Um I think Yedlin could come right back in the reckoning uh, after Mankiw. He did okay the weekend but Newcastle lacked that injection of pace down the right hand side when he's not in and he's had a good rest now, he's been off for two games. Yeah, I'd love to see him back in from the start and, um, in the starting 11. After that, you've got Paul Dummett who's you know fully fit again. He could give Richie the opportunity to go further up the pitch but there's, there's so much he can do really I mean in attack not that much because he's only got Hossloo basically who is not uh, popular with fans um, so wasn't I wasn't even on the bench at the beginning. wasn't weekend. even on the bench no so and I think really you know I, I can see Hossloo leaving in the summer um, one way or another and really it, it just exposes Newcastle's lack of options in attack really because Rondon's not their player uh Hossloo, as I say is probably going to go um, there's not there's not too many more options in terms of a fully recognised striker
0: in terms of changes I'm fairly similar They they would be the ones I think that he'd be prioritising the fact that Newcastle now have a week between matches is different than last week when they had three and eight days and I was surprised by actually how few changes Benitez made the only change he made over the three matches was to bring in Manquillo for the second two matches when he made one change across three games and eight days that's very unruff Benitez like but now that he's got another week, I think that that team is largely, most of that eleven's relatively settled. Yedlin will bring them, give them a bit of extra pace. I've actually thought Mancillo's done all right in the last couple of games. But, yeah, Yedlin adds that extra bit of pace. And I think Rafa does see him as, as first choice down that hand side. I think Key and, and, and Hayden probably will play. I think it'll be Key and either Hayden or Diarmé. And that sounds harsh on Hayden, but I, I just think that... Key's the most likely because he's the more the more like-for-like like of Longstaff and Rafa wants someone who's going to bring in uh, that, that ability to move the ball quickly. Then it's a decision of does Hayden continue because he's playing so well or does Diarmé come in, all the contract factors. But also, I thought he made a bit of a difference second half on Saturday. Just gets in and around, uh, off the ball it is quite effective. So they're the, they're the areas I could see most likely to change. But also Atsu's been unlucky to miss out in recent weeks. I don't think he's done quite enough to really force his way back into the start of the but he's probably someone else who is probably in the selection picture as well
1: Right, well I think we'll end that there for today guys, as I mentioned earlier we'll be back later in the week for the pre-Everton podcast, in the meantime stick with us at Chronicle Live, we'll be bringing you all the latest uh, goings on at Newcastle United if there's any update on Take or Raffiniers in the future we'll be the first to bring you it so stick with us guys and thanks for joining us today